podcast for me originated, um, like I said, about seven or eight years ago. And for me, it was really important that I record in person. I was having these extremely intimate conversations with creative people, most of whom I know, some who I didn't. But being there in person allowed me to get into some really intense personal stuff for the discussion. And my podcast kind of got known for that. Uh, and so I always thought if I went digital and did it over the internet, because I've been interviewed a lot, like promoting stuff, like in the comic book industry. And I just felt a detachment that I didn't want my show to have necessarily. Not that, and look, I listened to so many podcasts when I was doing it. Not all of them were done in person, but I, I guess what inspired me a lot was Marin's WTF and like how personal he got with people. And I just felt like I couldn't do that over the computer uh, when I wasn't looking at the person. So I kind of made that like a rule of mine when I started it. So then when COVID hit, I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. <laughs> and then it made me think, well, what, what? And I was kind of at a point with the podcast where I was, like, I didn't know what I was doing with it anymore. It, it felt like it needed, it had outgrown its skin and I didn't know what it would be. And COVID kind of showed me the way in a, in a weird way. What kind of prompted me to start it was, I'd be at these comic book conventions sitting in Artist Alley surrounded by like my friends and stuff. And we're sitting there drawing all day and we're having these really interesting conversations. And I was like, I'd love to capture this on audio. And I felt like I could. So that's what started it. So when COVID hit my art dealer in kind of a, a, a quick and desperate attempt, cause we had just lost like our big spring convention uh, we were like within days of having to leave, it got canceled. So he was looking at his entire business shutting down. So he started this virtual kind of con experience where the artists in our group all got on a stream with him and we treated it kind of like a con where people would order commissions through him and he'd give them to us and we'd draw them on camera and probably about 45 minutes into it, I realized, oh, this does feel like a con. Oh, wait, this does feel like a podcast. So that gave me the idea to start buying some equipment and uh, building a new version of the podcast, which involved watching people create art while having the conversation. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Six Feet of Separation. The voice you're listening to is that of Sean Crystal. Sean Crystal is a 20-year veteran in the comic industry. He has also taught over at Savannah's College of Art and Design, better known as SCAD, listed as comedian. I'll let him explain on that. Comic artist, as well as host of the podcast, Inc., Pulp Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome alongside of my co-host, just to be the one, the only Sean Crystal. Sean, thank <laughs> you so much for being here, bro. Thank you for having me. Nah, this is awesome, man. I uh, really appreciate you setting off the podcast like that um, by just giving us a deep down dive into Sean and, and how you actually saw your podcast coming alive. 
to life and the things you did not want to experience uh, within that podcast or some of the negative things you've seen as far as the podcast that just showcase the artist or the individual. You wanted those real human stories to come out. Yeah, definitely. So I, I, in my research of you, Sean Crystal, <laughs> I, I, I saw that it was back um, and, and let me get my years right. Uh, I think it was around either 2013, 2015. Mm-hmm. You were at a crux. Um, you were uh, working for Marvel, which I still believe you still do work for uh, Marvel. And uh, you were also at, um, like I said, you were the, uh, let me get it right. You were the chair for the sequential art department for SCAD. I was that. uh, So when SCAD Atlanta opened up, uh, me and my good friend, Pat Quinn were hired to build the sequential art department and teach it. And after like one quarter there, he got promoted up to Dean and then it just kind of fell in my lap. So I designed almost every class there and ran the department and taught in there. And, and we eventually grew to have like five professors under me. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, <laughs> would you say it grew into something that you did not expect? No, no, it very much. I had a vision and grew it like strictly. Um, when, when we opened the campus, we had... One, one of uh, my favorite people that I've worked with in life and just this amazing woman who was in charge of the entire campus in Atlanta, her name was Dr. Griffiths. And she said to us on day one, make it work. I'm not going to micromanage you. Do what you feel you need to do to make it work. And we did. And that gave me a lot of freedom. And I mean, honestly, creatively, like when I feel right about something, I just follow that, that voice inside of me. And I did, I made, I made the department really successful. We had one of the highest employment rates of our students working upon graduation and even while in school. And we were constantly cited like as an example of of the success we were having in Atlanta and all the departments kind of built along those lines. And then as the school got bigger, 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 that's when Savannah started paying more attention. And that's when they came in and started all that freedom we were giving the corporate machine came in and started trying to fit us into molds. And ultimately I just didn't fit and I had to get out of there. I know that story all too well, bro. (laughs) Sad. I mean, it's sad. <laughs> we had something good going, but you know, I'm better off like doing my own thing. I think now. Yeah, for sure. Um, and that reminds me of the quote: "The creative adult is a child who survived." Yes, that's awesome. That story, as well as how you got your start in the comic book world and the comic book industry. Um, can you talk about that a little more? I read a few interviews, and you said you're getting to live your childhood dream out in real life. So. How did that happen for you? Uh, I was about, I didn't grow up reading comic books. I grew up doing graffiti, listening to hip hop and loving movies and, and animation. And um, I got exposed to comic books. I mean, I knew the heroes. If I go back even further to when I was a little, little kid, it was that Spider-Man cartoon in the 70s that made me want to draw forever, was watching that. So I thought animation would be my game. And I went and saw, I was like 15, someone handed me a comic book that happened to be Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. 
which in comics is like uh it's like the beatles sergeant peppers i guess and i was blown away and sh- and around that same time i saw brian de palma's movie the untouchables and i think it was the first time i was aware of a director's presence in a film like i saw creative decisions being made that were affecting how he responded to what I was seeing. Mm. And, and it kind of clicked. I was like, Oh, comics are kind of like, like a movie on paper and your voice, like there's very little filter between what you're doing and the reader. Whereas in animation, you're just kind of a part of a, a big machine and what you are doing, like who you are as an artist is less important than the group seeming as one. So that's when I shifted to really wanting to do comics. And I was laser focused from that day on wanting to do it. It wasn't easy. I mean, I went to undergrad, I got out, I started going to comic book conventions, meeting editors, networking with professionals, doing sample pages. This is before the days of email where you Xeroxed your artwork and mailed it to Marvel, mailed it to DC and hoped you got a response. And years of doing that finally led to my first job when I would I decide to go to grad school to study this art form further and uh, also open up the possibility of teaching, um, which was something I was definitely interested in and felt I had a, a knack for because I had taught some like, like after school classes and stuff uh, while I was in college and out of college. And uh, yeah, so while I was in grad school, I got my first job for DC Comics. And I thought, all right, cool. I did it. It, I finished it right before graduation from grad school and thought I I had made it. And then I didn't get work again for 10 years in comics. And that was for no lack of trying. I tried harder than ever. So it it was a strange run, but yeah, that's that's kind of the shortened version of it. And before I let Kimmet ask his next question, um, I know you've worked for DC, Marvel. You've done a lot of stuff with the Deadpool comics and Batman. Yep. Um, and we won't tell anybody what you tell us, but I just want to know who's your favorite comic book character. <laughs> I have two. Uh, I mean, like I said, uh, Spider-Man was the one. Like, he, he was the one when I was a kid, the whole reason I I got into wanting to do this. And then the first comic I read being Batman made me love those two. So I got my hands on Batman for a really special uh, mini series that I was thrilled to do. And I am still really proud of it. And I was offered a Spider-Man job once, but I was already working on Deadpool and teaching full time and as much as i hated to say no i just knew i couldn't meet the deadline on that so mm-hmm. i'd love to get my hands back on him if i could I, I, I'm, I'm literally just <laughs> i'm frozen and i, I usually, <laughs> that usually doesn't happen to me i usually uh, just spit off questions and have so much to say because i i, I don't want to get into my brain is like guys for 10 years bro you had to wait for for something else to come through like i i know of many many hard industries man but yeah i'd imagine it's like like music or acting or anything where you're in the creative entertainment field i'd imagine you know it doesn't go smoothly for everyone i mean some people come in and have smashed success from the get-go and then it vanishes and that would be awful to have to deal with that 
And then some people have my story where you get a break and then it goes away and then it, it comes back a long time later and then it goes away again. And some people just have the the road paved and do well from the jump and it keeps going. You definitely know, and I, I do believe I, 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 I'm taking this from one of your other quotes that it's not about the destination, that it's about the journey. Yeah, that's where I finally learned. <laughs> so what, and, and actually that this all leads up to my next question, I guess very well, because if you, you know, like you said, you were still sending out submissions and, and reaching out to everybody and getting your art out to the world. And you said, you know, it took 10 years to get, you know, another hit back. Yeah. Um, what, what do you do in your free time, Sean? And, and like, what's your path to Zen? What, what, what do you do to relax? What's your happy place, bro? Yeah, well, I have a few answers. Um, my, my problem right now is I don't, allow enough relaxing time mm. um you know covid really wrecked things pretty good for my industry and for me and i've like i just clicked into you know hustle mode and build mode so i just said if this is if my conventions are gone and these publishers are limiting the work they're giving out i need to find a way to just survive on my own terms mm -hmm. and i started building things I have trouble turning it off, but what I do is I do exercise a lot and yoga for me has been the, the blessing. And it's, that's where I've learned a lot more about myself than anywhere else. And that's where I got into, you know, thought patterns and internal dialogues I was having with my health self in an unhealthy way. I bought meditation into my studio, like my art studio so I do that. Um, I am honestly very happy when I'm drawing. So what's hard for me is I'm spending so much time kind of hustling and lining things up and trying to promote this educational business that the drawing hasn't been the focus for a little while. The plan is all these things I'm doing will allow me to focus more on the drawing. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy when I'm drawing. And it's a weird thing to turn your pleasure and your passion into a career. Cause at times it's not relaxing at times it's, it's grueling, mm. but you know, I started taking Sundays off. Like I was working seven <laughs> days a week for a long time. Um, and I, honestly, like I, I took the fam down to the high museum a couple Sundays ago. Mm -hmm. And then this past Sunday, yesterday, we went to a gallery and it's been nice kind of reconnecting with art. Like it's been, I turned it into like work for so long that I think I lost my path a bit in terms of just enjoying the creativity behind it. It had become a job and uh, that's where I am now. I'm getting back to that. I don't know if that answered the question at all. No, it does, man. I, I love how insightful you are. I love how you take time to answer the question. Um, that's, that's you, you gave me beyond what I thought you were going to give back. So yeah, man. Okay, cool. <laughs> so speaking of uh, getting back to it all, um, you are working on something that kind of takes you back to teaching. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I, it was probably um, almost two years ago now where I, I kind of like really hit bottom. Um, I had been working for Marvel and DC steadily like full time for 
I don't know, probably about five years at this point after leaving teaching. And then I had worked full-time for Marvel while I was teaching for a solid three years. So I guess it had been about eight years of me working solid full-time for these two publishers. And like when, after Batman ended, that's when I, I left teaching to start Batman. And then after that ended, my career started taking these weird turns and I was getting work for the next few years, but the jobs were really crappy and I wasn't enjoying them. And then the work just started to dry up and vanish. And I had been, I had kind of become a, uh, like a work for hire artist who didn't think beyond that. It was like, I need a job to draw, to get a page rate, to get paid like an hourly or salary type mentality and didn't really think like, Hey, you're a, you're an independent businessman. Mm-hmm. You're an entrepreneur and you're an artist. So find ways to make a living. So when the work dried up, I guess my reflex was I replied back to SCAD, which I really didn't want to do. And uh, that, that the thought of that really sucked. Like I, I got really depressed from just thinking about it. I went and interviewed and I saw people there I used to teach with and they were like in shell shocked, like you got out, why are you back? Cause it's a, it's a really hard place to work. So I, I remember one morning I got into my studio and just kind of like slapped myself out. It was like, well, what are you going to do? Like, you've got this talent, you've got, you're good, you've worked, you've got this pedigree behind you, figure it out. And I just started making a list of things I could do where I could turn my abilities into money. And some were as simple as I knocked out some quick little watercolor sketches of Batman characters and sold them all in a day. Like, and I just started building. But one thing, like the long term, the big thing that I was putting all my eggs into was I'll build this uh, academic experience unlike anything that's been seen before. And my whole, I mean, art school is kind of a, it's, it's kind of a corrupt business model. The, I, the amount it costs to go versus the amount you're going to make if you're lucky, mm-hmm. it's completely disproportionate. I would say... Mm-hmm. Probably about eight, 70 to 80% of students who graduate art school do not go on to have art careers. And of the 20 to 30 that do, for the most part, it's a difficult life financially. So to owe $300,000 to have learned something that if you're lucky is paying you $40,000 a year is completely disproportionate. So I was like, I'd like to offer, and especially comic books, like I can't think of a harder visual art form to try to get into than comic books. It's such a small industry. It's so obscure and it's hard to make money in it. So I was like, I'd like to build something. Cause I knew one thing I was a good, I knew a few things. I was a good teacher. I was a good communicator. I understood my craft on a very deep level. I mean, to be a great artist doesn't require understanding. If, if your instincts are just really strong from the jump, you just follow them. But I just had the type of mind that I wanted to understand everything I was doing. So that made me a good teacher. Mm-hmm. And then, so I knew I could do that. And I, and after years of podcasting, I knew I had these interview skills. That was something I didn't know I had. And from the first episode of my podcast, the comic book industry responded really well to it mm-hmm. um, and really enjoyed my interview. I don't know if you call it style or what, but 
I was getting talks with creators that people hadn't heard. I mean, most people hear like, what are you working on? What are you promoting? And I was like more interested in how did your abusive father affect you as an artist later in life? Like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I want to put these two together and create something really different. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Eddie Wong's Wong's World, Action Bronson's Fuck That's Delicious, and Chef Show. Yes, yes, yeah, those are great. Yes. And, and, you know, I watch those shows and I'm learning about people, but I'm also learning how to cook. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I want to do that for comics. So I, I just, I, I have a, like, a uh, producer on my podcast, he does all my audio, like puts them all together and gets them out. Mm -hmm. And we talked and he used to have a video business and he was like, let's do this. So we decided to create this business together and we filmed my episode. So COVID hit and it pushed, like we were supposed to film my first episode in February and COVID just wiped that off the map. So when, when we finally navigated through that, I think we shot my episode, I want to say it was like May. And then I was like, let's just, let's do this. You know, this is, this is what's going to build my future for me. I, I will have these episodes coming out every other month or so. They'll be bringing us money and I can sit here and draw and figure out how to make money from that as well. So we started dumping money into it. I mean, we bought a lot of equipment. I bought it for my podcast and for the uh, instructional stuff. And mm -hmm. my, my uh, partner producer went nuts and bought some incredible equipment. So, and then we, we took a trip to Portland, filmed two episodes there. I, we drove up to another artist friend of mine in North Carolina and filmed an episode there. I'm going to Miami in a few weeks to film an episode there. And I'm just building this thing. And I launched an Indiegogo for the first episode, which is me. Uh, it's been up for about five weeks now. I think we got about three weeks left. And what's the name of the project? If our listeners want to check it out on Indiegogo. It's called uh, Ink Pulp Instruction. I, I try to keep everything under my Ink Pulp banner. Nice. So, um, easy to find. Yeah, it should be very easy to find. And it's, the link is on all my social media, which is, as you might guess, at Ink Pulp. <laughs> <laughs> and as you're talking about this, man, I cannot help about thinking about, and I'm sure it's not the same, but as you, you named off, you rattled off a few of my favorite shows, but one of my all time favorites and still to this day, matter of fact, I'm going to have to watch it today, tonight <laughs> is Bob Ross. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, and, 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 and from how you're describing your show and the fact that you're going to different locations, it, it's not a Bob Ross show, but um, would you be willing to wear an Afro <laughs> at this point if, and, beat, if it, and beat the living and beat the living devil? Out of the two-inch brush. <laughs> you know what? Maybe that might not be a bad marketing scheme. <laughs> be the Bob Ross of comics. Uh, the episodes that I shot of just me, well, the episode I shot of just me is probably the closest thing to Bob Ross because I'm not interviewing anyone or asking anyone questions. I'm 
just explaining right. how I'm drawing the happy little tree that I'm drawing. <laughs> <laughs> They're happy trees. <laughs> we can also get you a pocket shirt and put a squirrel in. All right, it. let's <laughs> do it. <laughs> I'm down. No, but that that sounds great, man. Thank Again, you. for all of our, um, our our listeners that want to support that Indiegogo, uh, it's under what is the name one more time? Ink Pulp Instruction. Ink pulp instruction, perfect, perfect. Definitely, um, I myself will be going over to check it out and support, and hope uh, some of our listeners do. Thank you very much. I can mention some of the projects I'm working on on outside of ink pulp instruction. If you want to talk about that, yes, please do. Let's go. So, um, one of the other things I I thought about when I um, hit that bottom and was making a list, I thought, you know, there was some short term. How can I make some money quick? Things like the watercolors. But long term, what do I want? What do I, what do I want to be doing? Because I wasn't having fun in comics. The industry had turned into something I didn't like, and the publishers had turned into something I didn't like. And I was like, I just want to work with artists I really like and who inspire me on projects that we own and can do the way we want to do. And I'm such a fan of hip hop. I was like, I would love to be the artist from the gorillas, Jamie Hewlett. I'd love to be that for the hip hop world. Mm. And I don't know if just saying that or thinking I put it out there, but literally within a month, I was contacted by the far side. Oh my God. And then I got a call from killer Mike. What? And, uh, the far side I had been talking to kind of on and off. I, there, Marvel did a series of comic book covers in homage to hip hop covers. Mm, I saw the, the uh, ESPN NBA one that you worked on, but I didn't know about the hip hop one. Yeah, no, these were the actual, com- the NBA thing was like an ESPN magazine. These were like actual Marvel comic covers. So like guardians of the galaxy was relaunching with number one. And they asked me to, to do that cover in homage to a hip hop album that would fit along with it. And Bizarre Ride to the Far Side was the one I wanted to do. Mm. And they were down with it. So when that came out, the Far Side saw it and they, they loved it and they were talking to me and, and through, we stayed in touch like every six months I'd hear from them and they'd be like, look, we got a project we're working on and you know, we're going to want to pull you in on it when we're ready. And I was like, you know, I'd, I'd love nothing more because that's one of my favorite albums and they're one of my favorite rap bands. So, uh, yeah, they, it was like right before COVID hit, they reached out to me. They're like, we're ready to go. Let's talk. And they had a vision for an album cover that after talking, we grew it into, I I can't explain what it is. I mean, I, I can't talk about it too much, but it's grown into a project that is not just music. It is art and music together. And I think, and I hope this is where things are going. Uh, And then uh, we were working on that and then they wanted to pull in another rapper. So they reached out to Del the Funky Homo Sapien and Del jumped on it. Damn. So for me to think like this was a gorillas thing I wanted to do. And now I've got like Dirty Harry and Clint Eastwood from the gorilla tracks, those rappers on one track that I'm doing art for, I'm, I'm, really hype on that so that's been a really fun and exciting thing and then killer mike called like i think it was the day after the far side and was saying hey i got this project i'm working on i want it to have a visual end and i want you to be the vision for that Hmm. so that one has is just barely getting off the ground right now the far side one we're about 70 percent of the way through 
That is big, man. I hope so. That is, <laughs> that is big. And and it's funny you should say that because there's something um that was that I found in one of the 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 comics that you drew. And so it's a title called uh The Scarlet Witch, I believe. Yeah. And I was I was not familiar with that. So I did my due diligence, did some research. And I, at first, I, I was like, did he just make, make mention to the Wu-Tang Clan in here? But there was a witch named the Wu or something like that. Was it? I, you know, I didn't write it. And I know the writer is James. That was one of my favorite books I worked on because I got to be me, like really be me as an artist with like no handcuffs. Mm-hmm. And James uh knows a little hip-hop he's not a huge hip-hop fan so i'm gonna guess that's not intentional but it could be i I don't know for sure you know me i was hoping i was like the woo witch i was like okay well maybe maybe not (laughs) (laughs) well what i did do was when i worked on a book for marvel called the illuminati Mm -hmm. they asked me what pick like two heroes in new york city that i wanted to draw like marvel heroes for this fight scene mm-hmm. and like i i just all i wanted since i was i was young i just wanted to draw luke cage and iron fist wow. so i was like can we use them and they're like yeah sure and they're like now remember luke cage isn't in the tiara anymore he's in street clothes i was like all right i got you and this is way before there was a tv show way before the netflix series and this is about the time run the jewels was about to drop their second album so there it was really their first album, they were still very underground. So I put Luke Cage in a Run the Jewels t-shirt as he stepped in like the big splash page, Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Luke Cage is in a Run the Jewels t-shirt. And they were so unknown, Marvel didn't catch it. So it made it to print. And then that's how I got to know Mike through that. Cause he loved it. He has the original page now. That's mm. incredible dude. And okay, so speaking on Illuminati, uh, I think 2018, you did a, a book um, for the Joggernaut. Yes. Uh, X-Men, Black Joggernaut. Now, uh, what, what was it like for you working on that project and what did that mean for you? That was another dream come true because as I got into comics at a young age, it, after just a month of like getting to know them, the X-Men became my favorite title. Mm-hmm. And, I, and there was a book coming out at that time called X-Factor and it was the original X-Men in their original costumes. And... I just preferred it, loved it. It was the classic original X-Men costumes are still my favorite. So this Juggernaut book, the uh, editor was like, look, they're going to fight the X-Men here. It's kind of like in this dream world. So you can pick any version of the X-Men you want. So I was like, well, can I draw their original costumes? They're like, yeah, perfect. So I got to draw the original X-Men fighting the Juggernaut. And the Juggernaut was my shit. Like, (laughs) I remember watching that cartoon when I was a kid when that Juggernaut came in. I was like, this is the baddest bad guy ever. Mm -hmm. So that was a real dream to get to explore that character and draw those original X-Men like that. And there's one page where I got to draw the whole original team as they're about to jump in it with, with the juggernaut. And I gave that page to my brother cause he remembered us as kids. And that was, 
That was my dream. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say in Deadpool, yeah, two that Juggernaut yes. was, was, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> stole the show. Stole the definitely. show. Definitely, he definitely did. So I'm gonna shift gears just a little bit. Um, I know we mentioned at the top of the show that with season two we are taking a a slight angle on the political landscape. Um, And since you've been in the comic book world for so long, I first want to ask how have you seen it change, if at all, from first starting to now, as far as it being a male-dominated industry, Mm -hmm. and where do you see it going moving forward now that we have our first female VP um, and all the other things that are going on? It's changed a lot. When I got into Marvel and DC... Well, Marvel, really. The corporation machine hadn't taken over yet. It had started to take over at DC already because Warner Brothers had purchased them. Mm, That makes sense. And Marvel had just released... Like, I got into Marvel before the first Iron Man movie. So I was at Marvel when that came out. And I watched how the success of those movies and ultimately Disney purchasing them what I got into comics for was it was a it was an outsider art form. It was um, it was risky. It was it was free. It was fun. It, you could do things that were crazy, obscene, whatever, and, and it was okay. And then I saw a lot of that disappear, and there became a real intense focus on pushing a a, a, a corporate machine forward with these properties because they became more valuable than anyone ever thought. And a lot of the joy got sucked out. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say one of the healthy things that happened is, yeah, comics, be, it used to be like like the boys club, for sure. The industry was a boys club. And then it changed. Diversity came in. And, and that was a very healthy thing to see. That it, I guess not just a boys club. It was primarily a white boys club. Mm-hmm. So to see all different ethnicities and, and, and different sexes and genders coming in and working was great. I, I think it created a very creatively uh, healthy place. You had new perspectives on things, but the books themselves, I thought, weren't very good. And then another thing happened. These, corporate, these corporations were more interested in who was drawing the books than the books. So it was like, we, you know, we need a female on this cover or we need this here. And, and, and the books weren't like, it's like they were like, I was all for this inclusivity, but I, I hated to see the craft kind of suffer. Just the focus was on like, they were doing this so that they could use it as a marketing tool, I guess is the best. It's like place. performative allies kind of thing. Right, yeah. right. You're very right. Because they did it like when they used Takashi. Yes. And uh, and they used that, okay, we're going to get the black demographic if we put him on. Exactly. Like it was that that same exact thing. And, and like, I don't know, like it's cool that we're getting all these people work, but at the same time, is that cool? Are you using them? Like what is happening here? Mm -hmm. So I, I, you know, it's, it's a weird time there. Interesting. So 20 years, bro, you've definitely have gotten your feet deep and wet into the cement. You're well planted. And as you said, it's an industry much like the music industry, which I know pretty well, like you said, things come and go, right? Right. right. Money comes and goes. So you 
or a DJ for Arrested Development, correct? Yeah, I was. I was uh, one of the uh, original, I guess you could say, yeah, one of the original members. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. So I know your work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you you can understand exactly what I'm saying. Oh yeah, man. You def you said it. You said you know you can start out early and hit it, and then you're wondering what's happening there, or you can you know bounce around. And I've had both experiences, right? Yeah. And. Uh, my my experience with Arrested Development um, was a very blessed when I actually was able to come in from the back. So I was the production manager from the group. Actually, um, Speech and I knew each other from high school. Right? Okay. We had our own label and everything in high school. So we, we learned the craft together, I guess you could say. And then when it was time for college, he went to Atlanta. I went to D.C. And then we kind of... Oh, shit. That's where back. I'm from, around D.C. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I went to Howard okay, University. okay lived in lived in northwest and uh, i stayed in um my my uh because dc was so fun i extended my academic uh career <laughs> <laughs> to five and a half years but it was well worth it anyway took some but victory yeah. laps. <laughs> what did you say took some extra victory laps <laughs> i sure did i sure did one around georgetown a couple others <laughs> georgetown could take a while once you get caught in that mix <laughs> It really does, man. And don't ask me how many times I visited the steps of the exercise. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, reason. I know. I've been there, too. For some reason, I was like, this is where it happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I used to skateboard, and that's we would always go down to Georgetown. There's a lot of, a lot of neat little spots to skate around there. We'd always end up eating lunch on those steps for some reason. <laughs> And do do you remember you remember when Tower Records was still around over by M Street? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good skate area because I used to always see skaters yeah, going sure. over there. And, and I went yeah, to a lot yeah. of shows down there too. I mean, I grew up going to shows in DC. You know, it's like it's crazy. Like Fugazi played my high school. Because like, like this band that would go on to change music probably aren't the most well known, but they were just getting started and played a concert at my high school in, in Maryland, which was crazy. Bro. I went to go see 24 seven spies at uh, 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 college park. Um, okay. Campus. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> when they, they were doing rock the vote up there yeah, yeah. I, at, at GW. I got to see Lenny Kravitz with uh, oh, I forget this, uh, this other up and coming black rock group that came out of the UK at the time. I, oh, it's weird. I was researching them, but yeah, mm. DC, mm. bro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I went to nine 30 club a lot too. Woo. Oh yeah. The one on F street, mm -hmm. bro. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then Kilimanjaro. I remember seeing Bootsy Collins live. Oh, damn. That must have been crazy. Kilimanjaro. Wow. 1991 so yeah i had some some good times see now we've had other guests on the show that were from philadelphia and jessa did this and oh, I was okay was it philly or was it the la thing yeah it was both it was one of each so you know this is my I first one to get off. so <laughs> jessa you were in la too yeah so right i went to uh i'm from atlanta but i went to temple in philly and then i interned in la and that turned into a job and I hated the TV and film industry or the TV and film industry in LA because I hate LA. And so <laughs> I moved to the Bay for about oh, four nice. years. That's so. nice. Yeah, Bay's beautiful. I love that area. Yeah. So I got out of the creative stuff for a while when I was in the Bay and then found myself working for an entertainment platform, U42 in Atlanta. Nice. Awesome. So, <laughs> so you're both in Atlanta too, huh? Mm -hmm. yep. Awesome. I like Atlanta. Yeah. Fila, 
forever. I love it. Like oh, that's that nice. Too. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> you can take that one with you. You can take that one. With you. <laughs> so yeah, man, you're 20 years in the industry. You've um, you you definitely have a lot of highlights. Um, and Jessa really does a good job of asking this question. So I'm gonna take a stab at it. What is your your dream scenario? I'm not even going to say dream job, right? Because we discussed earlier that job isn't so much of what you're looking mm-hmm. for. It's, it, it, it's you know, we, we have the thing, our passion, and our passion has turned into our career. Sure. For you, what 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 is that dream scenario for you? What, what, what would that be? For me, like, honestly, all the only thing I feel like I'm missing right now is just some financial security. I'm not even talking about wealth. I'm just talking about having, a, like, a large enough of a cushion to where I can just focus on my projects without like constantly feeling like in in a month or in two months, I need income. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the only thing I feel like I'm missing. I mean, this project with the far side is it's a dream. It's beyond a dream. It's, it's the most fun I've had drawing in so long. And the one with Mike, I already know is going to be the same way because part of the project was he needs me to come to Stankonia. And I was down there like a month ago listening to this project he's doing Mm. in Stankonia and I was losing my mind. And then I want to paint more. Like I want to be able to play more with my art, like have some time for that. That's something I miss. Mm. So I feel like the only thing I need, and, and it's a, you know, kind of a big thing I'm hoping that my instruction business does is, is gives me like a steady flow of passive income to take some of the pressure off and, and let me enjoy things a little more. But maybe that's a head thing I need to fix. No, I think uh, that is definitely not a head thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, I, I, all creatives, you know, we, and, you know, in, in, in music industry, the first thing we say in order to lighten our road is, hey, you know, first thing money comes and goes. It just, you know, so you don't feel a certain way about when it's not here. Yeah, I wish I would have known that. <laughs> you just, you know, uh, you know, one one project can, you know, promise you X, Y, and Z, and you get into it and get out of it, and you it didn't happen. Whereas, you know, another one which would seem like a fluke brings you all these different opportunities. Right, so you just, right, right. That's true. You know, you... you um, you know, you just, you, you have to find that comfort within yourself and, you know, uh, almost like massage and maintain that, that, that area within yourself that's telling you, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> everything's going to be okay. You know, don't worry about the money, but it's hard not to. Yeah, I think but, that's, that's what I mean. It's a head game. I need to really not worry so much. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for me, I know it was not, I, I had to stop comparing myself to other people and remember that that's their path. Yeah, that's a big one. I learned that. I, a quote that I always remind myself is comparison is the thief of joy. Mm, so true. Mm. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. Like, we all have our own path and we can't judge, you know, when we're in those hard areas, we can't look around us and be like, well, why isn't, why, why am I not doing what they're doing? It's like, that's their path. Mm-hmm. This is yours. And a big thing for me was like to start thinking about my, me and my art as my own Island, like my business, like this is like, I got to stop thinking there's even a world outside of me. I got to build my Island and nurture my Island. I think one good thing that's come out of COVID from 
all of these interviews we've done for Six Feet of Separation with creatives from all different types of creative industries um, has been the focus that everyone has, the time that people have had to take care of their mental health. Um, so many of our guests have, you know, you said meditation and yoga have helped you tremendously. Other yeah. people started therapy for the first time ever. Mm. Um, I think this, it's given us a lot of time to think and reflect and become super anxious, but also to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that I agree with all that. I'll tell you, um, it's also been a hard, like, not like 2020, sure, but just the past four years have been difficult in, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, there's a lot of anxiety out there. That's for damn sure. There's that, you know, that Spider-Man meme where there's a bunch of different Spider-Mans pointing at each other mm -hmm. and they put different words on it. It's like seasonal depression, regular anxiety, right. election anxiety. <laughs> right, right. Different things that we're dealing with. COVID anxiety. <laughs> right, totally, totally. It's Yeah, it's exactly it. I mean, yeah, and actually these projects I'm working on, we're talking about release dates on the far side thing. And I think we were initially thinking January, but now we're like, we need to wait till everyone feels a little better. Maybe the spring. Well, we want to thank you so, so much for taking the time to speak with us today on Six Feet of Separation. Um, if you want to look at more of Sean Crystal's work, you can find him on Instagram and Twitter at inkpulp, P-U-L-P. Um, and Indiegogo for the Ink Pulp Instructions. Did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> to check out his new series that we will hopefully be seeing more of soon. Thank you so much for having me. No, Sean, thank you. We really appreciate you. First Six Feet of Separation, we have been your hosts, Jessica e and DJ Kimmett, and we will see you next time. Take care. Thanks.